You're listening to the Up in Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upinfrisco.com. I try to give you guys at least one ridiculous joke per message. Um, and so I have a question for you. What kind of car does Jesus drive? A Chrysler, you are correct. But his disciples were all in one accord. Um, Joshua, however, was into motorcycles. The sound of his triumph was heard all throughout the land. Missionaries, though, well, they like convertibles. (laughs) Because they can convert them. See? It's funny, once you pick apart the word a little bit, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well, we better pray. Um, (laughs) I had a a mentor, a spiritual mentor, whenever it was time to pray, someone would say, hey, it's time to pray, and he would say, it's come to that. (laughs) Lord, we, we love you so much. And I want to pray for our, our world, our nation, our, our state, and our city um, as a group right now. Lord, we thank you for our elected officials that represent us, but don't rule over us. And we pray that you would give them wisdom and revelation to make decisions vicariously for the people, for the good of our country. And we thank you that it is for freedom. You've set us free, and freedom is the number one indicator of your presence. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that you would help this body rightly represent you to worship and pray to you and to make disciples all around us and help us this evening, Holy Spirit, to see you rightly, to see Jesus rightly, to see the Father rightly. Amen. So tonight, I feel like I have kind of like a shepherd's message. Um, At this point, you might be wondering what the other ones were like, but um, I say it's a shepherd's message because um, I want... I want to help us really enjoy a sheep's journey. I want to help us really enjoy our journey and following our good shepherd, our one good shepherd, and to avoid some of the um, ditches along the way. And tonight, I want to talk about the best way to avoid ditches is to look right at Jesus. Um, Rally car drivers will tell you that um, you look to where you want to go. So if you're taking a hard left-hand turn, you don't look at the right-hand ditch because you're going to go where you're looking. And so we don't want to focus on ditches. We want to focus on Jesus tonight. And um, I have three ways that I want to talk about seeing Jesus and growing in our understanding of the Lord. And, and really, it's how we can grow up in our faith. And I say grow up, but... We all know we can't force ourselves to grow up, can we? Have you ever seen a tree grunting and like trying to get its branches out further or to produce some acorns? No, a tree grows by soaking in the nutrients and the rain that the Lord provides. And so the way that we're going to grow is by eating the bread of heaven that is supplied to us. 
and we're going to let him do that work in us. Um, I want to illustrate this point by talking about my amazing 10-month-old son, Shiloh. He, um, he just recently started crawling forward. For some reason, he could crawl backward for weeks. I was a little bit worried, but suddenly, he shifted the gear and started crawling forward. And it was awesome. And now he's all over the house. And uh, this was maybe two or three weeks ago. And then recently, he started pulling himself up on the edge of couches and coffee tables. And now he's standing on his own without holding on to anything. And I promise you, I can almost guarantee it, that within the next two weeks, he will be walking. And within the next month or maybe six weeks, he will be running. And um, I've enjoyed every stage. And I, when, when Shiloh couldn't crawl, I didn't look at him and say, when are you going to crawl? Like, come on. Just use your legs and your arms and do the thing. And when he started crawling, I didn't say, well, that's okay, but when are you going to walk? So I want you guys just to breathe and exhale because our Father in heaven is a better dad than me. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Easy way to remember that. I got 95 problems, but Romans 8.1. I don't know where that lyric came from, okay? I just got 95 problems, but Romans 8-1. <laughs> okay, back to three ways of discovering Jesus. Um, <laughs> maybe I should pray again. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I, I want to talk about a way of understanding how, how, how theology works. And theology is just a big word that means our understanding of God. And we all are theologians because we are all in a process of understanding God more and more as we walk through this life. And so um, I like to say that our theology should rest upon and be supported by a three-legged stool. Do you have that slide? Okay. Here's the three legs of stool, and I'm going to unpack some of these tonight because I believe that as we learn to uh, dive into these three different areas, uh, we're going to grow in our understanding of God, and we're going to be protected from false doctrine simply because we've kept our eyes on Jesus. So tradition is church doctrine. It's trusted, peer-reviewed theological voices. It's studying the ecumenical councils. It's reading the, the creeds, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. It's reading what the patristic early church fathers had to say about Jesus, and it's the fellowship of the saints. And so it's very uh, ecclesiastical. It's, it's, it's the church. It's the history of the church, um, and God has entrusted the stewardship of his presence and, and his truth. He, he wants us to conserve the faith that was once and for all entrusted to us, and he does that by the church. Um, now, when I say tradition, a lot of us might have a knee-jerk reaction because there is bad tradition. I'm not talking about that. Um, bad tradition is like when... I think it's in Mark chapter 7 where Jesus says, you nullify the word of God by your traditions. 
that's not good. We don't want to nullify the word of God by our tradition, do we? But what he's saying in that moment is that you are relying more on what I've done or what you think I should do than what I am going to do right now. You are missing out on what I want to do by thinking I'm going to do something just like I did before. Does that make sense? It's the difference between expectation and expectancy. Expectation says, God, come in a way that I want you to come. Expectancy says, God, come however you want. So I want us to lower our expectations and let the waters of expectancy rise because God is far too creative to come the same way twice, isn't he? Yes? He's very spontaneous unpredictable sometimes. It's, it's the craziest thing how a God who never changes can blow our box every time he shows up. <laughs> so I'm not talking about bad tradition. Bad tradition robs us of what God might want to do in the moment. I'm talking about good tradition. Um, this is 2 Timothy 2.2 kind of stuff where it says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it's that handing down of the good things of God to generation after generation. It's the same thing in Jude. I think it's verse three or maybe it's verse seven. It's one of those prime numbers. It says, contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to the saints. I love Timothy the books of Timothy, because Timothy is Paul's spiritual son, and you can feel such wisdom and affection just flowing through the words that Paul writes to Timothy. And one of my favorites is 1 Timothy 4.11, where it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for all believers in speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Watch yourself and your doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And that word save isn't necessarily like the eternal salvation kind of thing. That word save is sozo. In other words, if you watch yourself and your doctrine closely, when you speak, hearts will be healed Souls will be restored. Did you, you catch that? Paul is saying that if you practice self-control, if you watch yourself and your doctrine closely, when you speak, hearts will be healed, including your own. You guys ever spoken something from the Lord and healed your own heart? <clears throat> I love Timothy also because I had a dream. We're going to go through these, obviously, there's tradition, scripture, and experience. I'm going to talk about just an experience for just a minute. It's kind of out of order, but I had this dream, and in the dream, I time-traveled back to ancient Israel, and I think I was in Ephesus, but I time-traveled with a, a handful of some of my closest friends in this dream. Can you hang with me for just a minute? Dreams are all over the Bible. I'm not going to take us off into Weirdsville. So... Um, I have this dream, me and my friends, we time travel back to ancient Israel. We're in Ephesus and we're walking through the streets and it's, the sun has already set and it is straight up ancient Israel. I mean, there's clay pots and the, the architecture. I mean, we're inside this experience now. And, um, and this guy comes up to us and says, what are you doing out on the streets? It's not safe now. Come, 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 come. And so we're like, okay. And so we follow this guy. He said, you can stay at Timothy's tonight. And he leads us through you know, some of these corridors and passageways, and we go to this, this it's like an ancient apartment. It's like a, a little box that he lives in, and there's, um, 
there's about seven of us, and he opens the door, and we walk in, and he, and he says, just make yourselves home. Just lay down. Go to sleep. And so we, we find spots on the floor to lay down, and I see Timothy's cot. And I'm like, I'm going to go sleep right next to Timothy's cot. Because the guy says to us, Timothy's not home right now. He's on the other side of town encouraging the brothers, but he'll be back um, after you all fall asleep. And so I want to be as close to Timothy's cot as possible. And everybody falls asleep, but I'm awake still. And I hear the door open. This is several hours later. And I see the silhouette of Timothy. And he walks into the house. And I remember him being so patient and kind, and he's so thoughtful. He doesn't want to wake anyone up. He's not annoyed that he came home to seven strangers asleep on his floor. And he's just like walking over to his cot, and he lays down. And I'm, he doesn't know that I'm awake. My heart's pounding, and, and I'm laying like this, and Timothy's head is right here, and he's kind of like this on his cot. And I hear... And I hear him reading in Greek, but I hear it in English, and I hear him saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And I think to myself, oh my God, he's reading Second Timothy, Paul's letter to him for the first time. He's just unrolled the scroll. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and, and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and sound mind. And the light of the moon is coming through the window, and it catches his face, and I see tears coming down the face of a teenager. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And I realize, oh my gosh, these churches have been entrusted in the hands of young people. And, and I know that the tear on his face is he's reading, he's reading his spiritual father and he, and he can kind of deduce from the language that he's never gonna see him in person again. And Timothy is grieved. He begins crying in that place. I wake up from that dream ha having a... Uh, I mean, I'm just crying into my pillow. I'm wrecked by the presence of God. I'm, I'm more in love with Jesus, Paul, and Timothy all at once. And now his, his letters mean something new to me. A couple weeks ago, I was in the prayer room down in Dallas, and I got to be in there for like five hours straight, which was amazing. It's a real treat for me. And I, I was reading over 1 Timothy over and over and over again. And... Um, and I, and I got to um, that, my, my favorite verse, you know, 4.11, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example. And just then a, a guy walks up to me and he kneels down next to my chair and says, hey, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, I try. And he, <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he says, so you, like, you preach and teach regularly? And I was like, yeah, I try. <laughs> and he's like, would you pray for me? And he, and he says, I, 
I've had all these prophetic words that I'm supposed to preach and teach, but whenever I stand up in front of people, I get nervous and I get stage fright and my mind gets all jumbled up. And I said, I would love to pray for you. And I said, um, it's interesting because my Bible is open to 1 Timothy 4, and I've just been reading right where Paul is talking to Timothy, where he says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example, you know, and devote yourself to preaching and teaching and watch yourself in your doctrine. And I said, I, let me just pray the blessing of Paul over you. And he says, that's crazy. My name is Timothy. The Holy Spirit drops on us as I just begin to pass on this blessing of Paul to Timothy straight from scripture. And I've seen him in the prayer room four times since and we just kind of smile and nod, you know, like you do in the prayer room. <laughs> so this three-legged stool, these legs are interdependent on one another. If one leg is missing or one leg is short, it's going to be unstable. And when that stool is unstable, that's all of our thoughts on God. That's, that's our understanding of the heart of God. And so if one of those legs isn't there or it's unstable, it's possible that that stool could tip. And what that means is that people can fall into error or they can have a crisis of, of faith. And, um, and so I think it's really important. I, I've, I, this isn't my idea. I want you to know, I've heard so many theologians talk about this three-legged stool. I just wanted to represent it to us. Um, and so I also want to say that God is not afraid of our hard questions. And I want to say that if our understanding of God isn't being challenged, then we're probably not growing. We're just surrounded by people who think just like us. And if we haven't experienced God tear down a belief and rebuild a better one, then we may have settled for a form of godliness that denies its power. Amen. And if we're addicted to certainty, let's say this, if, if I'm more obsessed with possessing the correct answers than enjoying the journey of finding them in him, then I have a problem. So back to um, tradition. I say things like peer-reviewed theological voices. Peer-reviewed, you guys probably know what this term means, but it, it means that it's stood up to the scrutiny of other brilliant eyes. It's stood the test of time. It's been, it's been brought before a council of wise, Holy Spirit-filled people, and it has been stamped with, yes, you know, this is good. This is not heretical. And so... <clears throat> um, I like, to, I like to read both sides of an argument. I don't know if you guys are like this, but um, you might believe a certain way about a doctrine, but there's a lot of people that believe another way. Why not read both sides? Uh, a famous theologian named Carl, Carl Barth said, if you only know your side of an argument, you know little of that. Yeah, so um, I, don't, I, I don't like to just hunt for like new revelations. You know what I mean? Sometimes there's a pressure in, in a uh, charismatic world to come up forward with some new twist or some cool new teaching. But what I love to do is actually mine the treasure trove of our history in God because people have probably thought of it before I did. I like to stand up here and not have an original thought in my brain. Honestly, 
you can trust someone like that because if it sounds like I'm stepping out on a, on a, on a branch, I'm actually digging down to our deepest root. We have an intoxicatingly glorious church history. The, the week that I wrote down these notes, I spent five hours reading a guy named Melito. He's the grand disciple of John the Beloved. So you guys know that obviously John passed on the things that he believed. One of his chief disciples is a guy named Polycarp. And after Polycarp was Irenaeus and Melito. And I spent hours reading Melito's brilliant and beautiful poetry about Jesus being found in all of scripture. And I cried like three times just reading these words from 190 AD. And then I, I jumped into reading stuff from Athanasius. He was in, alive in the mid-300s. He was a bishop. He wrote uh, on the incarnation of the word, and he was a chief defender of Christian orthodoxy against the heresy of Arianism um, in the fourth century. There, so Arianism is just this heresy that, that Jesus is less than the Father, or he's of a, of a different substance than the Father. Um, and you, say, you might say, well, that's just ridiculous, but... Um, it's really important that we know what Arianism is because it's alive and well in the American church today. Any church that says Jesus is less than the Father, you should be, bing, 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 warning. So Arius, from Scripture, was thinking, he, he just got, he got mixed up. He was reading a few different Scriptures the wrong way. And then he was saying, well, Jesus has to be a created one. He's not uncreated. And he has to be of a substance less than the Father because of certain scriptures like he doesn't know the hour of the Father's return or, you know, in the garden, not my will but yours be done. And so Arius got off track believing that Jesus was less than the Father and it became such a problem. Other people were believing what Arius believed and so they called the Council of Nicaea. You guys ever heard of the Council of Nicaea? This is exciting stuff. So they come together and they talk about this situation. And it gets really heated. One of my favorite stories in this council is old Saint Nick stands up, walks across the room, and slaps Arius on the face. Can you guys believe that? Jolly old Santa Claus reaches in his gift bag and it's a knuckle sandwich. Like this is cool. This is our church history. How dare you challenge the divinity of Christ? Whew. You know, it might sound like I'm nerding out a little bit, and I am, but I want you to catch passion for this because this leg is highly neglected in the church. And Fellowship of the Saints is on there because today, within this room, there is a representation of brilliant men and women who are submitted to the Holy Spirit, and when you have a whacked out idea and you submit it to them, they will tell you that it's whacked out. Amen? Amen. <laughs> um, so uh, back to Athanasius he wrote something that I wanted to read tonight he said um, I just got to read this because it's so beautiful by man death has gained its power over men by the word made man death has been destroyed and life raised up anew that is what Paul says that true servant of Christ for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Just as in Adam all die, so even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 
1 Corinthians 15, 21. You know, if I see something um, in tradition that I think is uh, bizarre or edgy, um, I'll usually just research and find it in the great writings of men who went before me. Um, Ashley said something beautiful on this point this week. I was talking to her about just reading you know, the ancients, reading the church fathers, and she said, it's like when you are in love with Jesus, you don't want to just hear what he had to say. You want to hear what all the people closest to him had to say, and then the people closest to them, what they had to say about Jesus. And so it's reading Jesus' disciples, the apostles, which you can read in Scripture, obviously, but the, apostles, the disciples had disciples, and you can read the disciples of the disciples' disciples. And it's just, you can't, I can't get enough. Because they're all saying these beautiful things about the man I love in a way that I hadn't heard it before. <sighs> so uh, let's move on to the next leg of the stool, scripture. Um, this is our reading of scripture, our interpretation of scripture. It's growing in interpretive skills. It's understanding. It's study. The New Testament was written to people who had a relationship with the Holy Spirit to understand it. So we bring in prayer and the Holy Spirit as we're reading scripture because it takes God to know God. God reveals God. Karl Barth was this cool theologian who was born in 1886 and, born and died in 1968. And um, he was said to be the most important theologian of his time. Um, even the Pope said that he's, he's the most important theologian we have, the greatest mind that we have right now, which is crazy because Karl Barth was a Protestant. And Catholics and Protestants didn't praise each other very much back then. So this guy had it going on. So Karl Barth said this. He said, prayer without study would be empty. Study without prayer would be blind. So in this room, I don't want there to be any non-theologians. When we hear a sermon or a teaching or hear something that we think is from the Holy Spirit, we can test the spirits, but we can also, if we hear a sermon, our minds should be popping with verses, either questioning or confirming, like what that guy or that woman of God just said. And we should be like thinking critically in a good way, like critical thinking as in searching scripture, searching Holy Spirit while someone is preaching. Make sense? I give you permission to do that right now as I'm speaking. Um, okay. I love the Bible so, so, so much. I got obsessed with it like a weirdo when I was 11 years old. I just, I hid the fact from my parents that I loved the Bible because I didn't want them to like look at me like I was all cute. And I just, I would secretly read it from cover to cover. By the time I graduated high school, I read every word of the Bible five times from front to back. And I, during those seasons, I would go back and forth between following a religious spirit and the Holy Spirit. And so I made sure, <laughs> being honest with you, so I, I made sure that I read every word, even the boring ones. Like even, <laughs> I, did, I just wanted to, to be able to say, I, I know what it says. I've read it all over and over and over and over. And so I became as obsessed with the Bible. Um, And there's ways that you can uh, memorize scripture. I learned this, I think, from IHOP, but they would say, sing it, say it, write it, pray it. Sing it, say it, write it, pray it. And so we, back in the day, I would gather up with some of my friends. We'd find a scripture, and we would pick a melody, and we would sing the scripture over and over and over and over and over, and it would sink deeper into our souls, right? 
And then we would say it with authority and we'd put the emphasis on a different spot and then we would write it over and over and over and then we would pray it. So if it was like, um, what's a really good scripture? Shout one out. Where the spirit, oh, John 10, 10, come on. That's actually in my notes tonight, Miss Prophetess. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so if it's, you know, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've get, come to give you life abundantly, we would sing, I've come to give you life abundantly, I've come to live you life abundantly, I've come to give you life, I've come to give you life, I've come to give you life abundantly, and we would, you know, John 10, 10, John 10, 10, I've come to give you life, <laughs> We would say it, we would write it, and we would pray it. And when we get to praying it, we would say, Lord, we know that the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy, but you give us life to the full. Would you continue to reveal how you give us life to the full? We want the most abundant life, Jesus. And we would pray that scripture, and the scripture would sink deeper and deeper and be lodged in our soul. Guys, this book perfectly points to Jesus. This book perfectly tells us that we need the Holy Spirit. But I also want to, as we're moving on to talking about experience that is so important, I want to say something and I want you to hear me say it rightly. A book that has a beginning and an end can't contain a God that has neither. This book reveals the infinite God, though. This book is an amazing revealer of God. But if you were to record everything that Jesus did, you couldn't fit it in all the libraries in, in the cosmos. You couldn't fit those books anywhere. He goes above and beyond. Okay? This book perfectly reveals, but it doesn't contain. It's everything God does could not be in here, right? Okay which is why we need the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. Jesus said, it's better that I go because I'm gonna leave you the helper. He's gonna lead you into all truth. You guys ever been jealous of the disciples because they get to walk with Jesus in the flesh? Well, Jesus in the flesh says, it's better that I go because of what you're gonna have in the new dispensation after the upper room and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You got a front row seat to the divine for all of your days. Let's say, uh, I want to talk about how amazing this book is, but I also want to talk about how amazing the Holy Spirit is. Ashley and I, we are about to be married for 13 years in April. And, um, you know, as we're heading up to the wedding day, let's say I start writing out uh, the story of my life, the things I love, the things I've done, how, like my love languages, my favorite meals, just all these things, just the book of shuck. And... <laughs> And, and I give it to her on our wedding day, and I say, hey, babe, read this. It's all about me. It's how you can love me best. Now I never have to talk to you again. She, she would say, well, do you know how to spell annulment? Because that's what we're heading towards. I didn't marry you so I could read about you. I married you so I could experience you. We are the bride of Christ. He didn't hand us a book and say, now I don't have to talk to you. Which leads us to the next leg of our stool, experience. Experience has to do with us encountering the Holy Spirit, life lessons, our journey with God. 
The Holy Spirit will empower you to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things. St. Basil the Great, born in 329, said it like this. He said, as it is impossible to verbally describe the sweetness of honey to the one who has never tasted honey, so the goodness of God can't be clearly communicated by way of teaching if we ourselves are not able to penetrate into the goodness of the Lord by our own experience. Try to describe the sweetness of honey to someone who's never tasted it. You need the Holy Spirit. So these legs are interdependent. They rely upon one another, which means that they can be checks and balances for one another, okay? Guys, hang with me. If, we, uh, if we're wondering about some tradition in the church and, and it doesn't seem right to us anymore, or we just have questions about it, where can we go? We can go to scripture, and we can go into prayer. We can bring it to our brothers and sisters and ask them what they've found, and we can go to prayer. We can actually ask the Lord, is this tradition a good tradition? I remember finding out uh, that there were trusted, brilliant, loving church fathers and millions of believers out there that held a different view on a doctrine than I held. This was about 15 years ago. I remember finding out that there were millions of believers who believed differently than me about a core doctrine. And I was shook. I shook was shook. I, I thought... Everyone is a worldwide understanding that everyone believed the same way about this thing. But here it is. They're trusted, loving, Holy Spirit-filled people with Bible verses to back it up. We're saying something differently than what I was brought up with, something that I believed in. And so you know what I did? I studied and I prayed. And then I studied and I prayed. And then... I studied and prayed some more. And I invited the Holy Spirit into my process. And I want to say, guys, that was actually the beginning of me earning my beliefs instead of wearing them like hand-me-downs. So this, these legs can be checks and balances for each other. Let's talk about one of like, our interpretation of Scripture. Let me say that Scripture, let's, let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16. It's God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, correcting, training in all godliness. Let's go to, um, I think it's uh, 2 Peter 1.21 says that every prophecy of scripture did not have its origin in the will of men, but men spoke as the Holy Spirit carried them along. So prophecies of scripture were started and ordained by the Holy Spirit, which means that this book is amazing, okay? So let's, but let's say you read a scripture in there that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to you anymore. Or maybe You've just, it's like you just read it for the first time or something. It's one of those scriptures where it just no longer sounded right or you stumbled over one that you just blazed by in the past. And see, and now that I've read it, I'm stuck. I'm like, what, what does that actually mean? Does that actually line up with the character of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Does that actually line up with church tradition? Does that, what's wrong with my interpretation here? And you can go to believers, you can go to 
church history, and you can go to the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about experience and how this tool can be uh, checks and balances. This is incredibly important because we can have weird experiences with God. We can also have weird experiences with not God, okay? And so I, I remember getting caught up into heaven one time. This is many years back, and I was taken into the wine room of heaven. And it was enormous and beautiful, and it started off looking like normal wine racks, but then the more I looked at it, it actually, all, these, all these wine racks resembled uh, a cornfield ready for harvest, and all the bottles sticking out looked just like corn husks, and you could grab ancient bottles, and they were all truths of God and his nature or names of God. And, and I came out of this, um, I, I remember grabbing one of the bottles, and I woke up from the dream with it still in my hand, and guys, you know, you don't have to believe me or not, but after that, I could very easily experience the ecstatic joy of the Lord that you might call drunkenness. But not only that, I could get people around me into that same frame of mind based on the goodness and glory of the Lord. And it was as if God had taken me to the wine room and now I could give people tours. That's a weird thing, right? Especially, you know, in America. <clears throat> um, <laughs> So I studied, and I found many scriptures about ecstatic joy, about new wine. Even Song of Solomon 2.4 says, he brought me to his house of wine. And then I read, in church history, I read documented cases, these meetings where people would show up, ecstatic joy would break out so much. This is a John Wesley meeting in Bristol, England. It says that the church went so joyfully wild that they broke every bench in the church with exuberant worship. Could you imagine Upper Room Frisco? We come in here, Holy Spirit drops like a bomb, and whoa! We start picking up chairs and just, I mean, I'm not recommend, don't do that. These chairs are expensive, but um, it's, I mean, it's documented. It's, it was like in a newspaper, the, the glory of the Lord dropped so hard that they just went wild. They went they enjoyed God so much dancing, not even thinking that they were breaking all the pews. I'm talking about this stool because I love you guys so much and I don't want you to you know, go off the rails. These are checks and balances. These are important things that our understanding of God should rest on. And if we're afraid to ask hard questions of God, we don't have faith in God. We have faith in our curated answers. Shallow faith fears questions. Robust faith runs to them. I have more faith in the Holy Spirit's ability to lead than in the devil's ability to deceive. There was a guy named Stephen, Acts chapter 7, and he had some weird ideas that the Pharisees didn't understand. And he started preaching a message that they didn't agree with. His face began to shine. And he's revealing Jesus prophetically from scriptures. They didn't like what they were hearing. You know what they did? They plugged their ears. And they yelled loudly. And they ran at him like little demonized children. They grabbed him, hauled him out of the city, and stoned him to death. That's called immaturity. 
when you can't hear an idea without plugging your ears, screaming louder, and canceling that person. If I plug my ears and shout louder and then discredit the person whose ideas I fear, I might be a Pharisee. I also want to say that the three-legged stool has nothing to do with us learning to tolerate false teaching. On the contrary, it is a spiritual process that allows us to tear down every argument that sets itself against the knowledge of God. It's also very arrogant for me to say all I need is my Bible and a secluded spot in the woods. Beloved, that is the origin story of every cult. I say, I don't, I don't need the church around me. I, I don't need, I don't, I mean, they got it wrong plenty of times. I'm not going to trust them. All I need, all I, it's just me and God in the woods. It's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. You really need, I really need the way God set up his governance and his authority. We need church history and tradition. We need the fellowship of the saints Guys, I find it cute when, one, when like young Christians think they figured out a topic that the brightest God-filled minds have been debating for 2,000 years. Like, oh, you figured out? Oh, okay, cool. Here's 20 books, okay? Just go read these. So that, and once you're finished with those 20 books, you will have started to realize what you don't know. <laughs> and I'm talking to me. It took me years to find out how ignorant I was. Still am. Hey, let's, let's bring it home even further. I cringe and laugh at some of the things I taught 15 years ago. Anybody else in here cringe at some of the things you thought about God 10 years ago? Okay, keep those hands up. Anybody in here cringe at what you thought about God a long time ago? Who in here thinks that in 10 years you will cringe at some of the things you think about God right now? Humility. We're on a journey. Okay. <clears throat> and since we're at the upper room, I want you to understand that this fits beautifully into our vision, our purpose, our mission. All three legs are realms where we can worship and pray morning, noon, and night and experience his presence transforming us. From scripture, you can sing and pray. From experience, you can sing and pray. From sound doctrine, you can sing and pray and experience his presence transforming us morning noon and night. I want to warn you, though, that when you study truth, sometimes it's hard to sing lyrics that you used to be able to sing because they no longer seem to align with these legs. These legs help us dismantle false God concepts. Remember that we were all enemies of God in our minds. It's Colossians 1.21, which is why Jesus was vicariously crucified for us and as us in the place of the skull, Golgotha. Don't you think that he's still interested in crucifying us in the place of our skull, in the place of our stinking thinking, so that we can realize beautiful things about his nature again? Let's pray. You don't have to stand I'm just going to pray. Father, we love your presence so much. Thank you for scripture. Thank you for our beautiful church history. 
Thank you for encounters that we've had with you, God. We ask that you would grow us up in your presence, that we would understand you more. We would understand your ways more. We would understand your mission. We would understand your kingdom. We say your kingdom come and your will be done in us right here on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We pray, God, that you would not lead us into temptation, but you would deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.